This episode may contain explicit content. Listener discussion is advised. Welcome to Third Paradigm. We are your hosts, Clarity and Nuance. Third Paradigm is a digital third place, which is where people practice the art of conversation. The hosts and guests come from all backgrounds and different ways of thinking. We at Third Paradigm will discuss ideas and the facts of life with respect while pushing the envelope. Full disclaimer, hosts and guests will share their opinions. The opinions of our guests are strictly their own and do not represent the opinions of Third Paradigm. However, when we, the hosts, share facts, we will back them up with evidence. If we are wrong, we will make it right as soon as possible because we believe in practicing integrity. Welcome to Third Paradigm. What is our topic for today? Oh, well, Nuance, we're going to be talking about a holiday that's coming up or uh, what happened this week, and it's called National Fun at Work Day. And I think work is definitely something we should discuss, especially after what we've been through in 2020 with the coronavirus. Um, a lot of things have changed. And even before the, the pandemic, people were definitely talking about work and how, um, what the dynamics are, what people deal with every day. So I think, I think this will be a very interesting topic from people of all walks of life. And I think it's so, a really good way to start off 2021. I really think that is something that we don't really get to hear too much about is like the work environments. And then like we're going to dive in today about burnout and um, multiple different topics regarding work. Yeah. And matter, so. a matter of fact, even on both sides of the aisle, and especially in the primaries for like the Democratic primary, I remember there was a whole thing about working class and talking about the working class. And the Republicans, they were talking about the working class. And they were talking about working environments across the aisle, um, the political spectrum of big companies and then talking about small business. And hence why we had the small business uh, podcast. So just talking about work itself and the value of it um, and the need of work and uh, what workers need, I think is very, you're right, is definitely a good way to start out 2021. So, um, yeah, we have a very honored and esteemed guest today. We have here Nick, uh, and we also have Ray, and we also have a guest that is going by Ms. Audacity of Equality, and they all have various, various backgrounds, very, various experiences, and we are so glad to have them here today. So welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Yep. Yep. And so, uh, Nuance, you have the Bryce question, correct? Yes, I do. So, as just for a couple of ground rules, as we always do on the show, please respect each other. Announce your name um, when you are answering, so that way the listeners know who is answering. Please be respectful to all the guests and enjoy yourselves. So, for the icebreaker that we're going and to use. Meet your mic when you are not speaking, just for background voice. Yes, yes, please mic your uh, mic. Please mute your mic when you're not speaking. We've had some <laughs> sounds in the background while people are sharing perspectives. So for the icebreaker today, um, anyone can jump in on this one. So it is open floor for this icebreaker, but as we go, we're going to call out individuals. We usually typically call two people out, and then we leave it open to the floor. And each question is about five minutes apiece in total, so it's not five minutes per person. 
and then we kind of move on to the next question after that. So for the icebreaker question, what is one thing that you are looking forward to in 2021? Um, this is Nick. Uh, I can jump in here. Um, one thing for sure that I'm looking forward to, and honestly, it ties into the topic today, interestingly enough, is getting back to work in person. It seems weird, but uh, working virtually just does not give the same satisfaction as it does in person. So I'm looking forward to hopefully getting back into the classroom and interacting with my students a little more. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll, jump, I'll jump in on that now. That's interesting to tie it, I guess, specifically to the topic. This is Ms. Audacity. Um, I'm looking forward in 2021 to people possibly taking a step back um, and taking a look at the last few years, not just this year, and examining what work means, um, the importance of work. Um, when we talk about a work uh, and non-work balance, um, I'd like us to examine work and the necessity of it and how we view it in, in its current construct. And if we really need to view it and interpret it in the same way that we have in the past. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Hey, um, I, I'm looking forward also to um, get to work in person. Um, I'm fairly outgoing. Um, I'm a personal trainer, and so it's been a little tough um, working with people uh, remotely, or you know, um, a lot of a lot of um, a lot of interaction is um, spotting and and um, you know and um, like physical uh, correction, and so um, just being in person doing that, and also um, providing small equipment and stuff like that for people. Um, obviously, it's kind of difficult to do that remotely as well. Um, and I also would like to have um, the ability to, um, you know, to, to basically have my own hours to myself. Um, I have an 11-year-old son who's um, basically going to school remotely. And so we have a very, and as well, I have a husband who also is, teaching remotely. So um, our schedules are completely compressed um, with each other. And so um, I often have to get up very, very early basically to have that house to myself. So um, you know, we, we, work in, we work in an office together, but oftentimes he's teaching class. And so I kind of have to hang back. So um, yeah, it's a little, it, it's a little complicated. Um, Basically, basically continuing to get the business up off the ground. That's um, there's definitely some nuance to that. No pun intended, guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 a little, yeah, it's a little challenging. You know, pretty challenging. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Thank you all for sharing that. And I do agree. I feel like one of the overarching themes I've that we've heard from other different panelists' um, discussions as well regarding 2021 is just being among other people and not having the the fear of like being distant and having to be as concerned regarding the pandemic and some level of stability is what I've been hearing. 
So thank you all for sharing that. Clarity, what I do you think? I just have to interrupt real quick. Uh, we talked yeah. a lot about being away from people this year and, and, and missing people. And, and I think this is, this is a, a prime year more than most others. That's a great example of why I really don't want to be around people right now. I, I frankly have been at home since April and I kind of have no, no desire to be around people right now. I think this year has proven it. In, in, in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. That's that, that is a, a very well-valued perspective if you look at society. And I think it's sad that our leadership and governments all around the world I mean, some have done very well and some have done very poorly and have actually gassed up people to be pit against one another. So I got to definitely understand the need of like, you know what, I kind of just like being alone. And that's really sad, but at the same time, necessary for one's own safety and mental health. Absolutely. And I think what it really feels like is like, I think you mentioned earlier, Ms. Odafi, is that it feels like 2021 or 2020 kind of forced the world to stop. I mentioned this on a previous episode that um, it's a theory, but it's kind of shown that I feel like with the pandemic, it brought out what was already here. It amplified it, but it also forced people to stop and really look at the world. And sadly, some people lost loved ones or lost their businesses and um, lost their jobs. So when they were all, when we were all in quarantine, it forced us to kind of just like look at the world for what it is. And I'm seeing, to some extent, I'm seeing two camps. I'm seeing, and again, this is being very general. I'm seeing groups of people that are very much like my freedoms, my rights, my whatever. I mean, as an example, there was a miniature Trump rally down the street from me. <laughs> um, a lot of people, no math all of that. And then on the other side, I'm seeing things like this podcast where groups are really trying to bridge and cross aisles with other groups being comfortable with being uncomfortable. So I'm seeing a lot of that mobilization. And, and this is just strictly my opinion. I feel like the groups that are really trying to bring people together are the ones that are going to be a lot more stronger and the ones that are going to succeed more. Um, but it's definitely going to take a lot of push and pull from all those involved. So Clarity, what do you what do you look forward to in 2021? Oh, I I am looking forward to trying to see how people's minds and hearts have changed. Seeing seeing the the people, and I'm continuing to look forward to the continuation of raw honesty. Because if there's one thing I can appreciate since the 2016 election even as ugly as things have been, there's not a lot of pretending. And I have a high appreciation for that because you can get to the root of problems. And I think that that, that, is, that is what I'm looking forward to the most. Where are you finding this unfettered realness and clarity? Because I see nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean by that is when people just lie and lie brazenly, it's like, okay. It's like you think you can assault my intelligence, but the honesty of it is that you want to lie. And I actually appreciate the fact that you're not trying to, you know, trying to slip a sliver of truth in there. And then even when they do, it's so obvious. So it's like you see where people stand and where people are. And I think people are really appreciate It's like, okay, I know how to deal with it. You know, I know... I'm not wondering anymore. It's like there's 
there's the unknown about the virus that's scary. But now the unknown about people is not so much unknown anymore. And I and and I, I can really appreciate that. And I think things can move forward that way. And a, a lot better than things just being very ambiguous and opaque and uh, or just very blurry. And people and, and, and even if people are apathetic, it's clear as day, you know, and then you can kind of know how to approach people, how not to approach people, how to talk to people. You can meet people where they are. It's a lot of the guesswork is gone. I appreciate that. I agree. So with that being said, thank you everyone for sharing. What about you? Nuance. What about you? Oh, I mentioned it. I feel like the, the two camp groups, I feel like, like you said, like everything's out on the table. Mm -hmm. And again, I'd much rather have things out on the table rather than everything being hidden away. So now we know what we can work with. And like I said, the biggest thing that I'm excited about is the fact that I'm seeing so much mobilization. So many people really trying to bring people together as much as possible um, and doing everything that they can to really bridge the gap. Like we have our podcast. I actually have a TV show I'm producing on the side um, Mm -hmm. with a team for that one that's going to directly focus a lot on what happened with 2020 and then also a book that's going to be planning on coming out in the fall. So busy, 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 busy. nuance. All right. Well, yeah, and, and I, I think I just think we can, we can have honest conversations. That's what I love about it, no matter where you stand. And, and I, and I really value that. So in that, in that, in that spirit, let's ask the first question. Um, try not to get too deep, but just, you know, uh, close, close to the heart. Um, question number one, what was your experience and relationship to work slash your work life pre-2020 coronavirus pandemic? And I'm going to address this to Miss Audacity of Equality. Uh, you're you're, you're going to have to be a lot more specific than that. Um, basically, like, how did you feel about work? What was your, how did you feel about your work before the coronavirus pandemic? Did you feel good about it? Did you like it? What did you like about it? Did you feel, what did you want more? Like, what was work it? in general or my work that I have been doing? Either or. Or both, actually. Both. Like um, the concept of work and um, where you live. My, my history with work has generally been one of joy. It's been one of excitement. Um, I started working when I was 14. I lived abroad um, in Asia, China specifically for many years, um, where I finished both high school and university. Um, And at that point in my life, work was something that I enjoyed. Work was something that I wanted to do. Um, I started off teaching. I I, I worked in in radio broadcasting, television, and Hunan Weishu or Hunan TV, uh, Hunan Satellite TV, the top two networks in China, um, modeling or writing, hosting. It was always a project of passion. Um, coming back to this country um, during a uh, an interesting time in my life, um, coming back and trying to sort of assimilate or trying not to assimilate back into this country, uh, work became a means, um, and I think we've been talking about this a bit, uh, Clarity, a a means to the spectacle. Um, It became um, even more so a function of image uh, and existence 
as opposed to something that had any actual real meaning um, or value to it. In fact, that the, uh, all, frankly, all the different types of work that I've done uh, since I've been back in, in all regards, whether immaterial or otherwise, has left me with a, with a sour taste in my mouth of being um, complicit um, in a problem as opposed to finding solace and freedom in, in the joy of what one calls work. Um, most of my life I never considered work to be work. Excellent. Thank, thank you. Uh, thank you for that, uh, for, the, for sharing your experiences. Um, I'd like to ask uh, Nick, um, what was your experience and relationship to work with the idea of work in your work life before the um, coronavirus pandemic in 2020? I am blessed to have a job in which I feel like I'm making a real difference in the world. Um, I work as a mathematics professor at a community college, and I feel like being able to work with people and be very hands-on in helping them get through a topic that a lot of them, frankly, scares them away from things that they never thought they were capable of. Uh, I've had so many people, well, I can't do calculus. There's no way I can get X, Y, Z degree. And to be able to make that difference and, and help them push them to greater heights, it was everything. Sometimes the day-to-day -day grind would get to you when you're staring at 150 tests a grade and you're like, do I really want to do this? But when it came down to it, I would be at, on campus sometimes 12, 15 hours a day, and I didn't mind at all because I was always feeling like I was part of something special. And I, I, I love it with all my heart, honestly. It was fantastic. I've, I've seen, and that's why you definitely want to get back in the classroom because um, just feeling that energy and that, that vibration and seeing the growth of people was very fulfilling. And I, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the whole reason I went into teaching is to work with people. Um, small sidebar, my original major in college was uh, pre-medicine because I wanted to be a, a doctor because I thought, well, that's a great way to help people. And then I failed anatomy physiology miserably and was like, hey, I'm really good at math. Let's try this. Fell in love with teaching and just Oh, I, I, I can't even put into words how much it means to me. Like, it is my life. It is my life's work. It is my passion. And, oh, my heart aches that I haven't been able to be in person with these wonderful students in close to a year now. You know, as a little um, fun fact, I actually started substitute teaching at elementary schools um, right before the pandemic, actually. And I got to go to different school districts and meet different types of kids, and it was a wonderful experience. Um, and they definitely appreciate um, not just the lessons that you teach for the curriculum, but just your experiences, and they respect it. And I really enjoyed it. Um, and it was a, I was able to kind of have flexibility in my schedule, um, but because my wife has uh, certain health issues, I cannot risk being in person, and so. Um, it wasn't as stressful as I thought it would be doing substitute teaching, and I was starting to get the hang of it. So I definitely understand the connection you're talking about, and it, it does hurt. 
definitely. So thank you, thank you, uh, Nick, for sharing that. And last but not least, Miss Ray, uh, what was your uh, experience and relationship to work as a concept, as well as your work life pre twenty twenty coronavirus pandemic? I always, uh, I always uh, considered uh, my work as more or less an extension of my personality. Um, I'm extremely outgoing. I'm, I'm, I consider myself to, to be a slightly introverted extrovert, but I really, really enjoy uh, being around people. And so um, I had a desk job for a long time as, um, as a drafts person, um, an architecture firm. And one of the things that I was constantly doing is um, talking to people and, you know, um, and I often, I often um, was called upon to talk to um, contractors and engineers um, because nobody else wanted to talk to them. So <laughs> I would be that person that they would send out to basically encourage people to, you know, to stick with the project and, and um, you know, just, just basically uh, some morale in the office. Um, and um, for a long time, I thought that... Um, you know that drafting was for me, and then, um, and then of course the uh, crash hit um, um, in uh, 08, and I I ended up having to um, I ended up having to kind of start over again, and um, I while I enjoyed that, I definitely enjoyed being around people more, and after a lot of um, after a lot of um, I guess, uh, falling on my face a lot with different businesses, one of which was a drafting business um, before, that, before that happened, um, I ended up, um, I ended up uh, working in sales and marketing, and while I enjoyed that a lot, um, I still wanted to connect with people um, on a, you know, on a, I guess on a greater scale and more, uh, more, more personally, and so, um, I thought that I would go into nursing, but um, my passions took me elsewhere. So um, I uh, started taking uh, fitness classes at Wayne State, um, basically to fill in my uh, student loan requirements, and just completely fell in love with it. And you know, there's there's the there's the written story right there. Um, I am a motivational speaker. I'm a um, I am a self-management coach and as I mentioned before I'm a personal trainer and that's taken me um, taken me very far um, I've been able to um, been able to interact with so many people um, you know when you you know when you spend your time uh, when you spend your time in leggings and, and t-shirt you know um, you, you, you tend to not get too shy <laughs> so, so, so. I, you know, if I can if I can get in front of people with leggings and a t-shirt on and sweat my behind off, um, I think I can pretty much handle just about any amount of pressure. But um, I I just genuinely just enjoy it. And one of my major passions, and it's something that I really miss not doing, is actually working with elderly people um, in their you know helping them to adjust to um, life after um, injuries and sicknesses. And um, you know, basically helping them to um, figure out ways to uh, manage their day and get through their ADLs, um, activities of daily living, by the way. Um, 
and uh, basically see, basically working with working with them and just seeing a seeing such a turnaround, um, you know, with their you know with their uh, you know with their overall um, feelings and their overall morale, and um, just just see, just seeing that develop and you know um, it, it's really gratifying. Um, you know, to see someone who you know just gets back from um, gets back from uh, therapy and you know being like in the hospital, and then they're you know back at home and just figuring out how to um, how to adjust to um, to their infirmities, but actually be able to do the things that they um, that they used to love, and basically helping them through that um, with my visits. Um, basically coaching them on, you know, um, getting stronger, but also not just not just physically, but also uh, mentally and emotionally. Um, so, I mean, that's one of the things that was very gratifying, and I really do miss that. Mm. Because, because of COVID, obviously, I, I couldn't risk um, making my, you know, making my family sick. I, ha- I, I, I have, um, I, I'm an in-between uh, or middle type uh I have an elderly mother and I have a younger uh, child, so um, I didn't really want to um, risk getting getting either one of them sick, and um, so that was a choice that I had to make, and um, I'm actually happy about that choice. Um, my son is my son is doing a lot better with school. He's adjusted to the remote um, remote bit, but. I'm there for a lot of his uh, therapy sessions and things like that. So um, I know I didn't mention this, but my son um, has Asperger's syndrome, what they now call high-functioning autism. So basically all of his appointments are all telehealth, um, and uh, his uh, therapy sessions, they take up a lot of time, but it's gratifying in in that regard that I'm also helping him with self-management. So... I get to use a lot of the skills, a lot of the skills that I know. I get to use those to help coach him and help him adjust to, um, to um, you know, his new lifestyle. So it's, it's, it's truly, it truly has um, come come full circle. Um, and I love helping my mom, you know, with things like that. It's actually it's actually brought me closer to my family because with working so much, um, I didn't have a lot of time with my mother um, the way that I wanted to. Um, so that's actually been, that's actually been a very, um, very, it's just been very gratifying. Um, we're quite fortunate, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people don't have that, you know. Well, thank you for that input. Thank you. Um, uh, you're absolutely correct um, that we are fortunate and uh, want that for more people. and. Um, Thank you all for your answers. We're going to move on to the next question just to keep up with time. And we got five minutes on the next question. Uh, Nuance, you want to take this one? Yep. So question number two is Generation X, Y, and Z specifically have been known to be the burnout generation and completely overworked in the United States and around the world before the pandemic. What do you believe were the factors that led to this for young people? And I'm going to direct this to Nick. So the reason I would think that burnout originally happened was the constant need for more. And uh, I could go on and on about the 
pitfalls of capitalism and and the greed behind it, but specifically the the constant hunger for more. The fact that, yes, it used to be that you could work your 40 hours, have your two weeks paid vacation, every Saturday, Sunday off, you had your nine to five, you had your home time, and you could afford things like buying a house and having a car and not having $100,000 in student loans breathing down your neck. You could have your dream life without having to sell a piece of yourself to do it. Nowadays, that's just not possible anymore. Um, the, the fact that things keep getting cut, more and more hours are being expected of the younger generation. You have to meet a higher standard in order to be on the same level as those who came before, let's say like the boomer generation or, mm -hmm. or even before then, um, uh, it, it has a lot to do with the state of the economy and where we sit and the fact that really just the work life balance is shifting so far in the work direction that how much are we really living as opposed to working? Excellent response. Thank you, Nick, for that. And I remember coming across some studies that have bro uh, that brought that up, um, talking a lot about how the economic boom is a big factor as to where we are now. Like we were mentioning earlier, we have to understand our past to understand what's going on currently. So thank you for, for sharing with that. And I'm going to direct the same question over to Miss Audacity. Oh... The complicated question as Nick talked on um, just now. There, there are so many aspects. We could talk about uh, the, our economic differences, our societal, political differences compared to 50 years ago. Um, but I think that we've seen, aside from all the obvious reasons, aside from all the economic reasons, we've seen a progression even more so you know, than we did uh, during the Industrial Revolution of Again, the image, um, and I see. I, I feel obviously we've seen an expedition of that since the 90s, um, the 2000s, and now with the internet, with social media, with with the visibility, um, and our, our new celebrity culture, right? The uh, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the influencers, quote unquote. Um, and I, um, I and I'm, I'm right now. I'm on one. I've been totally on one recently for. Um, Guy DeVore, and we've been talking about the Society of the Spectacle, um, Clarity. Um, and so there's one, I think the ninth thesis um, is in a world that has really been turned upside down. The true is a moment of the false. And I think we're now completely living in moments of the false, um, where the only thing that we're striving for is that image of blank, that image of doing well. Um, which makes people unable to cope with, for example, as Nick spoke on, the, the quote-unquote work-life, casual-life balance, um, the expectations of homeownership or uh, societal, economic, upward mobility. Um, we're living in moments where the projection of an image um, means much more than what we're actually experiencing. And so I think a lot of that burnout, um, a lot of that... Um, mentality comes from the, the, the inability to fulfill um, or to perform compared to, to, your, to your 
you know, all, all your other peers. Um, and of course, that's a, that's a false notion of what they're actually achieving and what they're actually excelling at and how, how great their, their vacation was and their life was and their lunch, how tasty it was. Um, my father, my family, they grew up in the Cultural Revolution. My father didn't go to, didn't finish middle school. He didn't go to high school because the schools were closed. Um, he studied all those curriculum by himself. He managed to find the books, study it by himself, test into university that first year after schools opened up, and then test out of the country as an international student the first year that they allowed um, foreign exchange. And I, 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 will, I will guarantee you right now 125, 250% that he sure as hell had it a lot harder than any one of us during the Cultural Revolution. Um, but they don't speak of burnout like that. They don't, we don't, they don't, there wasn't a notion of burnout. I think that's a luxury. And I hate to speak on snowflake culture as a progressive, but we're all fucking, we're all flipping snowflakes. Um, we, we got too many participation badges. We've gotten too many sort of passes um, without achieving that we feel when we haven't been able to live up to the expectations of achievement that we failed when frankly, many of us never excelled in the first place. Um, so when I'm, when I hear about the burnout culture, this and that, yes, I'm a, I don't want to say victim of it. Um, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a participant in it. I am one of that mass. Um, but I have to look to like my father's generation and to other generations in our modern day, our compatriots in other countries, um, living without electricity, living without quote unquote, what we define as freedoms, but even basic freedoms without access to water. Um, I think our entire perspective is, is wrong. Um, we are spoiled. I think we indulge too much on the self, indulge too much in our feelings, and we suffer for it. Mm-hmm. I, I question the whole notion of burnout and uh, how, it, how it fits in, into our real experience as opposed to the constructs that we choose to live by. Mm, interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Um, we got about a minute left on the question. Ray, do you have anything to weigh in on? I agree with um, with what um, Ms. Audacity is saying. Um, I, I, I'll, give, I'll give two points here. Um, one of the perspectives that I have about the burnout culture actually has to do with how education is structured. Um, first, how education is structured here in the United States. There is a, a huge focus on STEM, um, like STEM education. And mind you, there's nothing wrong with science, technology, uh, you know, um, nothing wrong with math and English and all of that stuff. Um, but what often happens is a lot of our more creative students, um, you know, if you're familiar with a, if you're familiar familiar with how a factory works, um, oftentimes when something is manufactured, you get a lot of uh, waste from that manufacturing. Um, so this product is this. Um, wonderful product is being made, but meanwhile there are lots, lots of scraps left on the factory floor. And unfortunately, um, those end up being the more passionate and creative students um, who, who don't fit into that and who, you know, college may not be um, the place for them and who often, because they're going through these programs, don't really get to figure out, you know, where they, where they fit in, you know. Um, and then secondly, as far as, uh, as, far as um, education takes you, you know, burnout is happening, especially to um, our younger culture, um, you know, us uh, coming up um, 
especially for single people, they only have one income, um, they're finding it harder, you know, they're, they're actually finding it um, hard to work harder. Um, and um, that has to do with the flattening, you know, the flattened uh, wages uh, in the country. You know, wages haven't been, in, you know, minimum wage hasn't been increased for, um, for decades now. And really, the only reason why a lot of people are thriving is because they often have two incomes in the household. So I would say that that has a lot to do with it. And a lot of people are experiencing, um, are experiencing what it's like to actually um, be close, like especially a lot of couples are experiencing what it's like to have only one income in the house now, um, if they're lucky. And then if not, you know, a lot of us are, you know, experiencing what it means to be closer and closer to the poverty line. So um, I think that this, this entire, this entire uh, event with COVID-19 is actually um, allowing us to have um, an end of the fork um, moment. And what I mean by that is it's causing us to actually um, pick up our forks and actually realize what's at the end of them. So that's my take on it. Awesome. Thank you so much for all sharing it. And I love the different perspectives and the different views because it is very much boils down to that question. It's like, is it the economics? Is it the minimum wage? Is it the student loan debt? Is it, like Ms. Audacity were mentioning, like, is it being spoiled? Is it, there's, there's so many multifaceted ways no. to look at it. I'm sorry, I just want to interrupt. It's not necessarily being spoiled. Spoiled is a, was an adjective. It's this, it is this notion, this image, this projection of what we are supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. And also American dream. The, the coddling, right? Not only the American dream, but the coddling of you can be whatever you want, regardless of reality, regardless of our resources, which is, which is a, a, you know, it's a dream you want to encourage people. Mm -hmm. It's not about just being spoiled. It's about the notion that we've achieved so much. Building people up for success when they haven't taken the steps to do so. You know, I really appreciate that perspective, and I think that kind of ties into something I learned about. I'm, I'm sure everybody's heard of um, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I think that when you talk about um, this audacity of equality, how there's so much focus on the self, I think that at times people can focus on themselves, and this is why we started this show, like some people say, oh, we focus too much on this. Is it so much that we focus too much on this or what we focus on when it comes to this? And when you talk about we focus so much on self and that spoiledness of I have to have this success without actually putting the work in, and I think that there's uh, definitely some transgenerational effects of that, things that have been decisions that were made um, both structurally and culturally um, that have contributed to that. If we actually focused on ourselves in the sense of, what are our uh, spiritual, and when I mean spiritual, I don't necessarily mean religious, but I mean just by our mindset, what we think and what we value, with the ideas and um, virtues and principles. If we were to do Maslow's pyramid upside down, which is where people find meaning, which is why, even though we may not agree with the decisions that some people make when they want to go to church during a pandemic, the reason they were willing to do that is Yes, some of it is selfishness, but there is meaning for people in being in that area. Now, I personally believe if you truly believe in something, you don't have to be in a specific place. But the point I'm making is, is that if you always focus on just having um, your basic needs met 
and feel like, oh, well, I can't focus on, you know, my career because I got to make sure I got food and water and then I got to make sure I'm not sheltered. Then I have my social life and then I have my aspirations and then I can focus on myself on the inside. If you secularize that to where you strip the fibers of what real meaning is, then that is the type of culture that we get rather than it. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you brought that up because that, that sort of speaks to what my, my point in that we live in a society where we bring people up not to focus on natural law or natural theories. They don't focus on making sure their priorities are met in terms of food, shelter, being out from the cold before they focus on self-betterment, spirituality, etc. because there is a notion that we live in this grand nation, the greatest nation, quote unquote, let me put that in quotes, the greatest nation. Therefore, I couldn't possibly have to worry about shelter or food, and so let me just go straight to spirituality. That's not a sustainable society. How do you jump straight from, I don't know how I'm going to eat, I don't know how I'm going to live, I don't know how I'm going to sustain myself from the elements, let's just hop on to leisure and sports. Spirituality. That's the disconnect. That is a hilarious thing that, that sports and entertainment is spirituality. That is such a hilariously true fact. Because yeah. if you really want to focus on spirituality, you focus on, well, how are the people around me living? So where you don't have to accept any means just to get your basic needs because you can fall into tyranny that way. And that's why yeah. some people will go without things in order to get that higher meaning. But for the sake of the time, I'm just going to throw it in here because we got to move on to the next question. Um, but I really do admire, and I've kind of gotten the pickup on this one, is that one of my favorite bottles when I ever heard about pull yourselves up by the bootstraps, the quote I keep hearing over and over in different forums is you can't really say that to someone who doesn't have boots to pull up in the first place. So it is, it is interesting how it's kind of like it's a multi, again, it's a multifaceted issue where it's like, is it the, is it the inner to focus on one's, spirituality is it getting their base needs met there's a lot to it but we got to move on to question number three clarity if you like to take that one away yeah so uh COVID-19 has changed the way people fulfill their day jobs with everything from safety measures to the kind of work that is seen as essential and non-essential so the question is how should societies and governments democratize power in the workplace going forward and value production in one's own country. And I'm going to start with Ray. Um, that's a very loaded question. Um, um, one more time. So since we see that now people who are being called heroes, essential workers, are people we always saw as low class, and we see that certain jobs are not essential, since we don't want to go backwards, how should our society, we as people in our society, um, be pushing our governments basically to democratize power in the workplace where we have respect and power in the workplace going forward and also value production in one's own country. And the reason this question is being asked is because uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't have enough of our own stuff, like safety measures like masks and gloves and, you know, things of that nature. And we were scrambling. And so, uh, and we rely on other countries to do that for us. So that, that's why that question is being asked. How should we go forward after these, the lessons being taught to us by COVID-19? As far as democracy in the workplace, we definitely have to um, give a, a larger voice um, to unions. We definitely need to bring them back. Um, you know, the, the right... That, that model has not worked. 
Um, and so in that regard, um, and we do need to, we do need to have, um, employees have uh, a seat at the table of, um, at the corporate table, um, at the very top. They should be right at the table, right next to the CEO, basically letting, uh, letting, um, the board of directors know exactly what's needed and the person should be a member of the board of directors representing employees. Um, and as far as, uh, as far as, uh, self-production, I have no problem, um, reaching, I have no problem with the, with the notion of, um, sharing, uh, responsibilities for production with other countries. I mean, that's a means that, you know, that, that's a means of economic stability for us. We would not, we would not be the country that we are if we didn't, if we did not, uh, reach out to other countries for things that we need. I mean, there are, for instance, there are plenty of tropical plants that we cannot grow in the United States. We would, we would definitely need those from elsewhere. And that's just a, that's just one example. Um, the other, the other thing that I wanted to say about this, um, is that, uh, the notion that, um, we, uh, we are, um, a country that, um, yes, capitalism is, um, we, 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 um, we put a lot of emphasis on capitalism, but um, we're also we're also um, we are a um, we, we are a social a partially socialist country, and for some reason socialism gets has been getting a bad rap um, in uh, in media. But we don't realize that you know a lot of the programs that that keep us running are social programs. And so, um, basically, you know, taking the boogeyman away from, or, or, you know, taking that boogeyman out of, out of social, uh, programs, um, would be a good start. Um, and then finally, I, I wanted to say that overall, um, I think that the biggest lesson here is that it's actually teaching a lot of us that, um, we really shouldn't, we really shouldn't attach our happiness to stuff. Um, looking for, looking for, um, uh, um, knickknacks and, and objects and, and, um, in, you know, in other, uh, uh, things outside of, uh, connections with family and friends. Um, I, I think that we should value, we should definitely value people over things. And it's allowing a lot of us to realize that we can make with a whole lot of that. So much food and so, so much, so many uh, resources are wasted every day. Um, we have the ability to feed the world, but we throw away so much food. And I think that a lot of us are learning that we can make less, that we can make more, yeah, more Thank you so much. Um, and I, I totally agree. I actually just recently found out um, in a paper, in a study that's been done, that in the United States versus like other countries that have gotten rid of homelessness, there are six abandoned houses for every homeless person in the United States. And that is just like, wow. You know, and I definitely agree that um, having your happiness on things versus people is definitely a, a big issue because like even when it comes to freedom we don't have a property rights freedom 
in the country right now. We have a freedom of relationships. So I, I definitely appreciate your input there. And uh, next, I'm going to address this to Nick. Same question? Yes. Um, so part of what you mentioned was the fact that some workers, workers that are now being called essential were previously viewed toward the bottom of the totem pole. And that comes down to something that I've just always personally believed in, and that is treat everybody with respect. But as uh, Dr. Fauci said it best, I can't explain to somebody that you should care about somebody else. It, it you know, it, that's never going to change uh, in society. There's going to be people who view, oh, this person is beneath me because they work at McDonald's, but at the same time demand their fries be done in a timely manner. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's one of those things that society, in order to work, takes everybody. It takes the, you know, you, if you want your garbage collected, it takes a garbage man. If you want your pipes fixed, it takes a plumber. And, you know, if I had to grow my own food, I would starve because I have no idea the first thing about it. So I don't view a farmer as, a, you know, oh, some dumb redneck. I view them as essential because kind of everybody is essential in their own way because everybody's contributing something as for keeping work democratized i totally agree with ray i am very proud member of a educators union and i think unions are a great first step but as she said we need a seat at the table employees can talk amongst themselves but it doesn't do any good until their voice is recognized by the people that have the power to do something about it. Um, and I honestly don't think that, at least in this country, um, I'm based in the United States, I honestly don't think with the level of corruption and rot in our government that they will ever be able to do that from the top down. So as employees and as workers, we need to do it from the ground up. And we need to reach out and, you know, put our foot down when something is unacceptable and say, listen, these are the conditions that we need. You know, if you think about it, if you work eight hours a day, that's selling a third of your life. That should not come cheaply. There should be certain conditions that you're allowed to say, I'm not going to do it outside of these conditions. And to expect anything less is just kind of, in my mind, mind-boggling. But I, I, I don't know. I guess that's just who I am as a person that I, I would want everyone taken care of from, you know, like I said, the person who is cooking food at a McDonald's all the way up to the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. They all deserve respect and they all deserve to be taken care of. How we make that happen is a very, very difficult question just because there are people out there that no matter how hard you try, you will never even convince them that they deserve to be taken care of, let alone how we should do it. All right. Thank you. I, I, I definitely understand. And uh, I'd like to jump in just a moment, you know, oh, go ahead, Ray. Uh, you know, 
we're we're talking about how um, this this is some sort of stimulus um, that we're getting from the economy, and uh, I just want to say um, I'm I'm kind of fed up with this whole notion that it's a stimulus. Um, it's survival funds, you know. A lot of people are really really hurting. They this is not this is not a stimulus um, check. Well, it was almost a payoff check with corporate liability right. shields. It was almost it's a payoff a, check, a settlement it's, check. It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's, a sur- it's it's a survival check for a lot of people. Um, and then second of all, um, I do want to say that you know what for all the for all the words that are being spoken about essential workers. You have essential workers, and they're the ones who are, you know, putting themselves out there to help the rest of us. If they're so essential, then they should be getting paid an essential wage. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's all I have to say about that. Thank you, everyone, for sharing those perspectives. Those were excellent, excellent. Yeah. Perspectives. I gotta jump in. I know. I think we had a five. But day. actually, yeah, you you still have some time, Miss um, Audacity. Yeah. Um, but the audacity of equality is to answer this one like everyone else. Um, To answer your question in short, um, under this current system, there is no path to equity for the masses. There just is not. Um, We do not understand what essential is. We are so detached from the reality of how life functions, from the reality of what sustains us and the means of production, those very basic means of production that sustain life fundamentally that we don't know what an essential worker is. We certainly do not value essential jobs. We don't value the humans that work essential jobs, even as people. Um, we, there is no way for us to gain equity in a system where we are the product. Big data. You remind me of what my brother and love told me is that when they say this is the land of the opportunity, of opportunity, we, the people, are the opportunity. That is the, that is the point. <laughs> now, we are now the product. Um, I mean, I, I have always been a, a fan of technology. I was a Absolutely. child of the 90s. The internet, the, the freedoms it allowed, the mass transmission of information, of, of bridging connections. Um, but as we've seen that, you know, everything is double-edged and after the market crash to 2008, all those big, you know, corporate bros, all those big finance bros, they went off where, where they could find another career. And a lot of them ended up in technology, which is why we find ourselves in much of the situation that we do right now. Big data, data, our data, the data, our, our thought, every, every one of our thoughts, our emotions at, at this point is a commodity, is a sellable product. You go on Facebook, your emotions, did you like something? Did you laugh at something? Were you angry at something? Your emotion is a commodity. Your life, your, your thoughts, your words are a commodity. Um, big data, quote unquote, it, it is the largest industry. It's worth more than gas and oil. Um, we literally are the, are the product. Cambridge Analytica was not an accident. We see dozens and dozens of Cambridge Analyticas operating every single day. We see the CCP. Um, amassing these giant databases of, uh, first it was uh, uh, on-paper data, right? Your, your names, your social, your, your work experience, what you've said online, and now we see that they're, for example, uh, creating DNA databases. They're hacking into companies, they're going into the publicly available databases uh, to take advantage of that. There is no 
path to equity in this system where we are being bought and sold. And we are being traded like cattle. Um, and in terms of, the, 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 I'm not even going to touch on, on global production, and that's that's another episode. I feel like all in and of itself. <laughs> yes, it is. But when you say CC, CCP, what were you referring to? The Chinese Communist Party. Ah, that's, okay, that's what I thought. Okay, thank you, thank you for that clarity. What people like to what people like to call China. Uh, I like to very. You, you're talking about the government party, not the people per se. Yes, because they are obvious. They're not one. No. And again, it's it's the difference between the machine and the product and the capital. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you all for that, for, uh, for, the, for answering that question. Uh, and uh, I think, uh, uh, Nuance, this is uh, your question, correct? Yep. We have just two questions left. And then right. we're gonna, let's just wrap that up. Um, second to the last question we have is, how can we help people have a fair, balanced work life and how can we help find work that is enjoyable and meaningful, i.e. working in order to live rather than living to work, or also another way to word it is seeing money is time rather than time is money. And I'm gonna direct this one to Ray. Thanks a bunch, uh, Nuance. Um, as far as, I totally agree with uh, Miss Audacity in the sense that we are all products. Um, um, However, I do want to say that um, as far as as far as um, as far as making a work more, um, I guess more um, equitable. Um, again, I was uh, I was um, saying before is that um, we we first have to. Um, we have to um, do what a lot of um, countries uh, do, and that's actually give people like real vacations. I think that I think that we don't uh, value um, time off the way that uh, we should. We also don't value um, a shorter work week the way that we do. And then there's a lot of there's a lot of um, work that a lot of people do. Um, on a regular basis that really could be um, could be less distributed to people and I understand that a lot of a lot of people are afraid of automation but there are there are some good things to um, doing a lot of the like referring to a lot of things um, online um, to help get um, things for business done um, but the main thing is, allowing people to have um, breaks. Um, and I do want to tie in that with what Ms. Audacity said, because we're seen as products, um, we're seen as the production and the product. And um, until, we, uh, um, until we are uh, recognized as actual people, um, you know, with lives, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really see um, a path forward. And a lot of that has to do, again, with um, the people at the very top, um, basically um, the 1%, um, basically um, um, having, uh, having a grand uh, socialism on the backs of uh, the rest of us, so. Absolutely. I just real quick, just to, to 
there was a couple things where we were talking about first steps. Nick was saying first step, you know, a unionizing and then the seats at the table. We've had unions. We've had seats at the table. We have, we do have seats at the table. It's done nothing. The table is built on a podium with so many seats and the rest of us are down here. There's no way to bridge that gap in the system. We, we saw what Congress did this week. Um, a seat at the table means nothing. Well, making, making corporations uh, people, you know, is a good start. Also, um, yes, you, yes, we did have unions, but one of the things that we don't really have here in this country, um, for some reason, we don't really have um, worker co-ops. Um, we don't have um, a, we don't have a sense of uh, companies where the employees actually own you know a stake in those companies. And exactly, was, they don't fit into the system. You said what again? I said exactly because they don't fit into the system. Those things aren't built into the system because those things detract from the success of the system. No, we are um, we are so we are a socio-capitalistic oligarchy. So. Until we, uh, un until we can, um, until we can actually make those fundamental changes, um, you know, I, I, I agree with, I agree with uh, Ms. Audacity. Um, I agree with you because, you know, we, we have to, um, we have to um, really fix the, fix the problem uh, from, from the bottom of the fish back up, you know. So you're exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. And in, in terms of money, I, see, I feel like fundamentally, actually, how can we start to rectify? Uh, regardless of which system, is getting money out of politics, is taking corporations out of the, uh, the category of people, uh, shout out Wolfpack, 28th Amendment, um, get money out of politics, uh, make legal bribery illegal again, um, and then we can start to talk about some type of equity or some type of social uh, justice. Excellent, Ryan. Can I, oh, I was going to ask, could I jump in as well? Yeah, absolutely, go for it. Um, so I'm, I'm basically on the same page as both Miss Audacity of Equality and Ray on this. Um, but to bring it a little bit back to the, the question that was first posed, how do we make work meaningful for people? Well, I got to branch off of what both of uh, my fellow guests were saying today. Um, I think it was Ray who brought it up earlier, who said, you know, our country is very focused on STEM education first. I mean, I teach math for a living and I'm on the stem committee for the math department for one of the largest community colleges in the country and i still completely agree with her mathematics can be done by anyone but it does not mean that it is everyone's passion um we need to stop asking children what they want to be when they grow up and ask them what problem do they want to solve and then figure out what mm. role they would take in order to do that that is legit we that. need to stop trying to pigeonhole people and stop trying to say you fit in this category, you fit in this category. And mm. that goes back to what Ms. Audacity of Equality was saying, and that is the system is broken. And we're never going to get this traction until this system is broken down and we are able to let people shine for who they are. I, you know, I'm talking to a bunch of people, only one of you have I ever met previously in my life. I have no business telling anybody, you know, what you do or what you do or what you do or what you should do, any of that. But 
for some reason, our system does that. It takes these little snapshots and says, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. You want to be this when you grow up. You want to fit into this role. And I just, it, it sickens me. And, and I, that, again, like, like, like Miss Audacity was saying, I could go on and on a whole nother episode about how our education system needs to be uh, completely revamped as well. But, oh, we'll have an episode I was going to say, I'm throwing this out there because just for the listeners who are interested, as well as all of our guests here today, one of the big things for Third Paradigm is we encourage guests to become hosts. This is a platform for all people. So if that is a passion that you really want to tackle, message us and we can chat it up and set it up to where we do have an episode. You will come up with the questions, you would take on clarity or nuance, and you would become the moderator. So we definitely encourage that. Yes, we do. We did. Well, thank you, today's nuance. Absolutely. So thank you all for responding. That was actually very beautifully answered because you all jumped in and showed so much passion, and uh, I love it. So much variety. Nobody's thinking the same, and yet it's all coming towards, like, okay, this is what we got to tackle. Exactly. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, absolutely. So just moving on to the very last question. Clarity, would you like to hit that one? Yeah. Um... I just want to, again, thank everybody for being here. This has been amazing. Uh, you all are our amazing guests. So describe your feeling of sharing your perspectives today and name one thing someone else said that touched, um, touched you today. And I want to start with uh, Ms. Audacity of Equality. Oh, don't start me off in a circle jerk. I need a minute. <laughs> I, <laughs> you put me on the spot. Let's start with something else. I've got to, I've got to contemplate and think back upon the evening. It's, it's been an hour. <laughs> Not so much in head. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Let's go with a right then. Let's go with a right. I'm just, I'm, I'm very uh, glad to, um, to have um, met uh, Nick. Um, one of the things that I think we connect with is the, uh, you know, the, the, the need to, um, to just readjust and focus on, um, focus on people being passionate about what they do. Um, um, I don't know if anybody knows who Nadia Colmanish, but her husband, um, he was once, um, you know, as, as a child, he would basically walk standing on his hands. And um, he went from being sort of like, you know, that, that, um, that thing that people like to see at, at the, at the uh, dinner functions and the, fam- the family gatherings. Um, and someone suggested that, um, that his mother take him to a gym. And had his mother not listened, um, he would not have been a multi-gold uh, multi, uh, medalist um, in gymnastics. And he wouldn't have um, the, the gym that he and Nadia um, uh, have that actually encourage young people into gymnastics. So we have to be very, very careful about um, the pigeonholing um, that, that Nick um, said. And, and um, also, um, this audacity, um, talking about people as products, um, that was definitely, you know, that definitely hit home for me. Um, yeah, because I was thinking, you know, I've, I've actually been wanting to um, kind of step away a bit from um, 
from uh, social media. And also, um, we can all use a little less dependency on our phones. So that was it. Yes, thank you. That was, that was, thank you. I, I, I thought those were two very profound moments as well. Uh, Nick, uh, what did someone say that touched you and how did you feel about sharing your perspective today? Well, first off, I just want to be thankful to be here and uh, being able to have these conversations with people. It's it's always great to just get things out there and, and hear a variety of perspectives on things. Um, I have to echo what Ray said about Miss Audacity of Equality's statements about the fact that people being a product and that how we're so focused on image nowadays and how influencers have a bit too much influence and how, uh, you know, our, our satisfaction needs to come from within, not from without. Um, and then hearing Ray speak about, you know, uh, STEM education focus and how we need a variety of pathways for people. The standard college pathway isn't for everyone. And, you know, take it from someone who my livelihood depends on people going to college. We need to be able to foster the strengths that people have that may not be academic in nature. The, the old adage of judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree and it'll live its whole life thinking it's stupid. When it's not, its skill set is just somewhere else. So both of those statements um, and, and just being able to, to meet some new people, granted it's just virtually, but being able to meet some new people and hear some new perspectives, I'm just very thankful for uh, the invite that I received from uh, nuance to join you guys today. Absolutely, and like from the, from us as well. And Ms. Odessa, do you have anything that you'd like to add? I know you wanted to kind of come back. Yeah, I, I'm lubed up. I've got my poppers. I'm all set. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, now, okay. Um, Wow. So I, 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 I was, I was very touched to be reminded um, by Nick um, the satisfaction from education, from from imparting um, something on someone, especially. Um, as he spoke, I remember that moment, that moment that you get from a student, that moment in a student's eye when you've, tr they try to learn something, you've tried to impart something, that moment that it clicks, they get it, and that look in their eyes um, when you know that you've imparted something, um, and the inspiration, the excitement that that provides. Um, it is a difficult time to remember those, those types of feelings, I, I feel. Um, I, uh, so I'm, I'm very thankful, uh, uh, Nick, for you to have reminded me of that. It definitely is something that I want to focus on going forward. Um, and Ray, um, let's see, you spoke, oh, um, what was it just now? I just lost my train of thought. Um, when you spoke about um, your son and your mother, it really reminded me, again, of the importance um, of applying your, your skills, your, your background, what you can do to those people around you in your community that need it. Um, I'm located right here in the 13th Congressional District of Michigan. 
13 strong. Um, and uh, we've been particularly hard hit, hit by COVID uh, in our district. Um, I think uh, I, I haven't looked recently. Maybe it, it's been uh, updated a bit, but last I looked, uh, the, the death rates, the mortality rates from COVID in our district was somewhere like 7 8%, well above the, the national average. Um, and if you know uh, anything about the state of Michigan, um, or frankly, almost any other state, you saw the lack of uh, federal help. Uh, what I termed hashtag no help coming um, since March. Um, and so that Ray just reminded me um, about the importance of, even in these times, even if you're segregated, you're home, you are not able to go out into the world, you're not able to get to work. The, applying your, your quote unquote work skills, your life skills, to sustaining, to improving, to helping the community around you because we have no help coming. Um, the importance of relying on each other, um, I think really touched me as well. So again, um, thank you all for that inspiration and, and thank you both uh, Clarity and Nuance for having me today. Absolutely, thank you all for coming on and sharing your perspectives and views. And there's just one tiny thing I just wanna throw in there before I forget it. And Nikki brought up about how, like we were mentioning earlier, how education may not be for everyone. I love to live in a world where it becomes optional and we don't have to worry about the student debts to where if they want to, they can pursue it. If they don't, they don't have to. And something I'm gonna throw out there is what I actually went for, to school for, which Oakland U actually has is um, integrative studies, where the integrative studies program, they go in there with some sort of an idea of what they want. Like I was thinking about what you were mentioning earlier about asking children instead of what do you want to be when you grow up? What problems do you want to solve? And in integrative studies, they design their own curriculum, but it's not a free-for-all. It's not like I want to take this and this and this. They have to choose the classes. They have to write this extensive reasoning. Why are you taking this course? And they have to show how is this going to be something that you can become something. So for me, it was advertising, marketing, communications, and sociology, because I believe all of those go in hand in hand. It's not enough to just sell and market. They need to know current socioeconomic standards and currently what's going on. So my thesis boiled that down to justify that, and then it has to get approved. And that system's been around for a good couple of years. They're still working that whole system out, but I would love to see something like that happen where, like exactly what you're saying, it's a customized degree, but it's enough to where they have a focus. And like I said, I didn't take any math because I was able to get that covered, but for, because that's actually one of my weaknesses, but I took all the other classes that I needed to say, I want to go into advertising and marketing, but I also have a passion with communications and sociology. So I, I really like that. I just wanted to give that kudos out. But um, again, uh, I wanted to concur that too, actually. I remember um, when I studied informatics in school, one of the, we had a guest professor and one of the greatest things they said in our programming course, because I, I also come from the STEM background, um, is that and don't worry about how much money you make. Actually find a problem you really enjoy and you want to solve, and then the money will come. And mm -hmm. that's what she did and um, created a whole product, just, just solving a problem that she felt was very meaningful. So I, I also um, want to uh, salute Nick. I will salute everybody um, on, their comment, on their comments. And uh, what they said was inspiring. Um, definitely Miss Audacity talking about big data. And I mean, that touches my heart. And when you think about how everybody is a product and a part of the production, mm -hmm. and it's kind of like we're being owned in a sense. It's like another version of slavery. 
in a sense. Oh, uh, and not, let's not, and not, not just in a sense. I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt. And not, and not, and not, and not to very like, very literally, but not to like, not to, to, to mock chattel enslavement of African Americans, but just understanding that whole struggle. It's just different forms. It is a very sophisticated form of slavery. That's that. That's what I want to say about it. Um, and then definitely Ray, and just really pointing out how again, yeah, we do need to really focus our skills towards the community because there's this thing I learned in uh, sociology where you have the commodification of everything, as Miss Audacity of the party was talking about, and when you're totally disconnected from the production and the product. That's how we got the society that we have, where everything is about a dollar and everything has to be about a dollar. And there's nothing wrong with making money. Capitalism does some things right, such as those who take greater risk for securing the funds of everybody else, taking that responsibility on will make a little more money. It's just you can't socialize the cost to everybody else. And I think that when you have meaning in your production and the product, that is where... Um, like you, like you even said, Miss Audacity of, uh, of equality, your dad, you know, went without clean water and, and stuff like that, but was never burnt out. And that's such a unique perspective. And in a country, in a situation like that, in some ways, a person having that value and that quality of life where, yeah, there's a struggle, but they're still rich in other aspects that we here in the States are not. There's um, something else that I want to say, and um, and and I I think Nick touched on this uh, earlier um, in something that he said. I think that we really put too much emphasis. Well, I'll re rephrase it. We often shun failure um, in this country. We put so much emphasis on success, and um, truly, um, our lessons are learned from making mistakes. Yes. And so. Um, if there's anything that I can encourage uh, our listeners is to basically think back on your um, past failures and really evaluate the lessons that you learned from those failures and actually how those failures have actually shaped you into the person that you are. Um, I know I've fallen on my face. I've tried to get, I don't know, maybe like 10, 15 businesses up off the ground. And um, I'm a polymath, so I often focus on more than one thing um, at the same time. I guess I'm sort of a Michelangelo of sorts. Um, and um, I was often told as a child that, you know, you have to focus on one thing. You have to, you know, figure out what it is you want to be. And when you grow up, and that's what you do. You go straight forward and you work on it. And I was always sort of feeling discouraged as a child because I had all of these interests and all of these passions. And, um, you know, had, had I not, um, I guess, had the, had the personality to just say, you know what, um, this is what I love and I don't care, um, <laughs> I don't really know where I would be today. So, mm -hmm. so, so I, th I think that that's really important that... Um, we we often, like I say, we often um, we often um, displace a lot of value on that factory floor. But then, in our efforts to um, you know to, to place that product out there, um, that product is oftentimes um, you know we, we sort of have this line of um, 
of uh, people being so similar or, or so much the same that um, that, that um, we, we, we miss that. We miss those um, we miss those faults and flaws that actually make people who they are. And so that would be my encouragement to uh, any listeners. Is just you know don't don't shun or don't be afraid of failure and any of your past failures either. And I just wanted to throw this in here when we close this out. It's the other half of a quote that we all have heard multiple times, and it's one of those quotes that has been used as a defense for focusing on one thing, specializing in one thing. Don't spread yourself out and dabble in everything. I've, I've grown up hearing it. All of us have heard it. But that whole jack-of-all-trades is a master of none. There's a second half of that quote that has never really been uttered, and it wasn't until... Um, I was at OU that I ended up learning the second half and I used that as like my base to my thesis was basically the full quote actually goes a jack of all trades is the master of none but oftentimes better than the master of one and I contemplated why do people never quote the second half of that quote and I have a theory that it's because when we look through our history pulling it all back together at the beginning of what we discussed when we look through our history, we went through eras where we had the big economic booms and people had to stay in one job and move up the corporate ladder because there was some economic stability, there was that prediction, the American dream, whatever you want to call it. So if they encourage people to spread themselves out, it ends up becoming a, well, we can't really market it, we don't get the money, whatever the story is. So now we're in an era where that second half is very critical to say over and over. A jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than the master of one. So yeah. with that being said, you just want to be that. hold on. Yeah. To add on, but I was actually going to add another half to the statement I was going to say about Ray, about mm-hmm. focusing on the community. The fact that she talked about the arts and the fact that Nick, thank you also, being a STEM person, diving the arts, this goes right into that because that's what I think they talked about with Renaissance Men. They left mm-hmm. another half out. It's funny. And I'm going to call it out. It's funny how the same people always say we got to care about STEM, 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 which is necessary because that was part of the Industrial Revolution. But it's funny how they hate the arts. They always defund the arts. They look down upon people who are in the arts. But it's funny how the people with money and power make sure their kids know how to play an instrument and know how to draw. There is, okay, we need to do an episode on this if you'll have me back. I've just, Absolutely. On, my, on my reading list, there is a book called Range, My Generalist Triumph in a Specialized World by David Epstein um, that I've heard rave reviews about that specifically talks about this subject and why you need to be uh, a generalist uh, to, to guarantee success more than being a specialist. We do have an episode later this month on creativity, and we will have you back. You, as well as Nick, and as please, the two of you want to host and write the questions, I think that would be awesome. So you are all welcome back to be guest and host. So thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everyone. So that, thank, thank you, you Noach, for, for your input and having time. And uh, everybody, we hope you enjoyed this episode, that you learned something. And as Ray said, you got to learn from your failures. You don't, cannot be afraid to fail. Exactly. Thank you. Yes. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you all. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.